The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 3, Domestic Disturbances. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. If you've been listening to the show, then you're undoubtedly familiar with our investigative episodes where I travel to haunted places, bring my clairvoyant friend Sarah, do historical research, and offer up theories and sometimes even validation for the experiences people are having in their place of business or home. Well, tonight is something a little different. Our campfire episodes will be much like the name implies, a selected collection of personal ghost stories told by the people who experienced them themselves. I'm simply gathering personal ghost stories, selecting my favorites, and curating them into collections that I'll share with you here on the second Monday of every month from now on. In tonight's Campfire episode, we have two true tales of the paranormal for you. First, we'll hear from Felipe and his father, O.C., whose family immigrated from Brazil to the San Francisco Bay Area in the early 2000s. As they started a new chapter in the United States in their new home in Pinot Valley, they soon discovered a hidden item in their home that they believed was the catalyst for a string of terrifying and violent phenomena that the family all witnessed. And following this tale, we'll hear from Teresa and her two daughters, Tatiana and Natasha, who before these interviews never really spoke much about their experiences in their childhood home in Yukon, Oklahoma. But now, through sharing their encounters, they discover shocking connections between their experiences. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need. Specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Oboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl podcast and get $50 off your first order. When I was a kid, I remember the phrase American Dream conjured up images of suburban houses with white picket fences, a dog playing in the yard, and families having flapjacks, bacon, and eggs for breakfast together in the morning before rushing off to work or school. But at its core, the American dream really meant what the United States hoped to embody and inspire in all Americans, and that was equal opportunity for anyone to pursue and build a life in a family that they dreamed of. And part of this ideal life always inherently meant having a good roof over your head. I recall most of my early childhood spent living in a trailer home parked on my grandparents' lot in a small South Texas town. It wasn't exactly the American dream I just described to you, but honestly, I had an amazing childhood. I didn't need a nice house to be happy. I had a family that was so special and connected that I didn't even notice that I was living in a trailer. I was an only child, but my extended family on my mother's side was huge, and we were all very close and affectionate. And living on Popo and Grumble's property was like living in the community hotspot because all my aunts, uncles, and cousins would visit daily, bring food, or barbecue. This honestly felt like it happened every single night. My mom's side of the family is Hispanic, so I grew up predominantly immersed in Mexican-American culture. 
and it was at age nine that I was surprised when my father took me to a large vacant 12-acre plot of land, just a mile up the road from my grandparents' house. We stood there looking out across this desolate landscape, and he explained to me that this was now ours, and he and mom had been saving for many years to afford to build our very own home. I remember getting really excited when he said it was going to be two stories, and I'd have my own room upstairs with a drawing desk in the window. It was another six months or so until the house was erected and we were finally able to say goodbye to the old trailer house and step foot into the brand new two-story brick home. I loved the new place. It was so fresh and clean and had so much space, three bathrooms. There was no reason for me to not like it. But for some reason, after a few weeks, I started to feel uncomfortable. I'd never felt like this before, not in the trailer. So I chalked it up to a new house jitters, maybe. Being upstairs felt like I was all alone sometimes, and I figured it was just because I was used to smaller quarters, being so close to my parents and grandparents all the time. But deep down, I knew that that wasn't it. There was something in my house. I could feel it. But what was worse is that it wasn't just in my house. Whatever I was feeling was in my bedroom. In the two campfire stories you'll hear tonight... Two families share their stories closing one chapter of their lives and opening another in a new home, only to face a similar dilemma as I did, knowing that they weren't alone in their new home. In the early 2000s, a Brazilian pastor is given an opportunity to move his family to the San Francisco Bay Area to open a new church for a large Brazilian community in the area. O.C., his wife and three sons, found a house in the Pinot Valley area and settled in to begin their new chapter in the United States. But before long, their eldest son Felipe began experiencing phenomena that O.C. and his wife were also witnessing and could not deny. The family eventually make a disturbing discovery in the home, and as a young father and pastor, O.C. must do what he can to protect his family in their new home. My name is Felipe. I live in Austin, Texas. Right now, I'm 28 years old. The story I'm about to tell you is about when I was 13 to 14 years old. It took place in Pinole Valley in the San Francisco Bay Area. We moved into this house. It was a two-story house and I was living there with my whole family. So I lived there with my two younger brothers, my mom and dad. I've always been kind of sensitive to paranormal activities or just spiritual things, I guess. I grew up in kind of a religious home. Um, My dad was a church minister, and I've seen some kind of weird things, some spiritual things. I always had mixed feelings about it. I never, like, fully believed it 100%. Like, I didn't really want to believe it, I guess. My name is Lucy. I'm a father uh, and I moved from Brazil to United States because I'm being invited to be a pastor in United States because I'm, I was pastor in Brazil too and Brazil uh, one couple uh, helped us and they moved to uh, San Francisco. There is a lot of Brazilian families around San Francisco there and my church in Brazil decided to send us to United States come to uh, be a pastor's and open a church. We was there, and we we know uh, there is a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of darkness in the area. You know, there is a music <laughs> uh, about uh, Hotel California. You you check in, but you never check out. <laughs> and we we moved to this house in Pinal in California, 
And we rent this house from a Philippine guy, and we start listening like uh, sounds around the house, like people go downstairs and walk around. You see listening steps like boom, 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 up and boom, 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 down, and no one around. You don't see no one, you just leave the sounds around. Started to have some like weird experiences around the house. Things fell off. Being in that house, it felt weird. Things would happen at night. We would hear sounds. We'd hear cupboards slamming. We'd wake up sometimes in the morning and all the cupboards would be open. And we couldn't really explain any of it. Like, we didn't really know what was going on. My dad prayed around the house and stuff, but stuff would still happen. Uh, shadows, um, the smell, uh we have a, a lot of things going on this house. This is why I decided to pray for the house because everything make everyone scared. Like no one feel comfortable inside the house. Everyone feel like that, and they start fight a little bit inside the house for nothing. And then with the kids, I feel the one, and they say, "What something is not good around?" The thing I I more concerned. I lose a lot of steps. Like people walking down and up in the stairs and all around and you see nothing. Sometimes I wake up saying, why is someone in the house now? Someone walk around, and maybe my kids walk to have water or something. It's not no one, everyone is in bed. I remember when it really started taking off and things really started happening, kind of like getting way more active than usual, was one day my dad went to open the front door and we used to have like a stair set that had like two levels of stairs. So you go up like five stairs, you go up like another set of five stairs and then you'd get up to the top of the house to the second layer. But after you went up the first steps, like this, the first five steps, you could be at the top of the stairs you were able to like kind of look down and I remember my dad opened the door and I saw like a piece of paper on top of the door it was taped on top like a piece of lined notebook paper I was like what what the hell is that like what's on top of the door why is there a piece of paper on top of the door dad like grabbed the piece of paper and opened it up and there was a picture of a couple with needles going through it and there was like weird writing all over the paper and we couldn't tell what it really says i mean we obviously got the just that it's probably a voodoo of some sort and the top of the door there is um like a witchcraft called voodoo something you can like uh, see uh, people use a lot in philippines to put something like a witchcraft, put like a picture in front of people, write something in the, in the paper, and put around the picture, and put needles, like, in the pictures. Is it this in the, is it in the top of the door? It's falling the floor. That house my dad was renting belonged to, it was a older Filipino couple. And the picture that was in that piece of paper was of a Filipino couple. So I don't know if it belonged to the past owner of the house or anything. There is like a picture. This first one is a picture, is a couple. And the paper is like a curse. And I can read because it's maybe Philippine. I don't know, but I don't care. Like I knew, and I don't need. To, I don't want to put a lot of attention on this because I know someone 
did things against his family. The New York is in the picture. It's not. It's not just in the top. It's death inside the picture. You understand? Like through the pictures, all the the needles. Maybe I believe maybe four needles. Something happened around this family. Someone try uh, put this family away. And whatever this family, I'm gonna bless this family. I don't care who's this family. I pray for these people. I believe after that I took the patient and I, I, I pray for the family. And after that, I believe I part. So my dad prayed in the house, and he was a little shooken up, and so was I. We didn't really know what to think of it. He grabbed that piece of paper, and he actually threw it on the in a barbecue pit, and like he wanted to get rid of it. He wanted to burn it. He was, I think, he was kind of shooken up too, because he didn't really expect to find anything like that in the house, even though there was already like weird things happening. So I remember he did that, and I feel like things got worse after he did that. I feel like there was one night in particular. It was like a hot summer like night. The door was kind of cracked open a little bit, and the curtains were open. And it was a really bright night. The light from the sky was just shining right through the window. And I had like a really thin blanket over myself. And so like I could kind of see everything in the room. I could see all the shadows. I could see anything that was in the room if there was anything in the room. So I had the sheets over my head. I was trying to go to sleep and I heard a sound of breathing, like someone breathing in my room. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, why do I hear breathing? Like, it's this is not my breathing. There has to be, like, something else in this room. But I didn't want to believe that, so I closed my eyes. And I tried to go to sleep, but I kept hearing breathing. So I looked to the corner of my room, and I saw a silhouette of someone, like, crouched down, like, holding their knees, kind of like in a fetal position. I could see the movement of this shadow like where their back was supposed to be like it was they were moving like they were breathing and it it went with the sound and so I got super freaked out and I screamed at the top of my lungs as soon as I screamed it got up the shadow like stood up and it ran out of my room and I heard it, so he ran down the stairs and I heard it go down the five stairs and then it stopped and went down the five stairs, like the rest of the stairs. So it was like, it was literally running down the steps. My dad came, he rushed into my room. He asked me what happened, what was that sound? And I told him exactly what I saw. And I mean, he couldn't really deny it. He couldn't tell me that I was imagining it because he heard it too. So he like kind of sat on my bed and like said a prayer with me and uh, told me if I wanted to go to sleep in his room, I was I was more than welcome to. So of course, you know, I was a kid and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna go to sleep in your room. I do not want to be in here. This is so creepy. So yeah, so after that night, we still had like a few things happen. It wasn't in the that same exact night. So it was like maybe, I don't know, like a week or two after. I remember I was downstairs and I had just woken up in the morning I was pouring myself a bowl of cereal and we used to have one of those like giant teddy bears the ones that you win at a carnival like they're like human size they're massive it was sitting in the corner of the room and 
I'm pouring myself the bowl of cereal and I look up and this bear flies from like one end of the room to the other end of the room and it smacks the wall full speed and just like falls on the ground. I'm just sitting there with my mouth wide open like what <laughs> what just happened? Like this bear really just flew across the room. So I, I like it was just like these things kept happening and I didn't know what to think of it. Like I didn't know how to approach it. I mean, I was like I said I was young and so like you know, I, I was like 13, 14 years old. And when you're a kid and you see stuff like that happen, you don't really know how to go about it. So I told my parents again about it. And all I know is like they kept praying and they kept like pretty much like praying around the house and trying to have things stop. It wasn't happening all the time. It was just like one week something would happen. The other week something else would happen. And there was another week where my mom, she looked outside the window. And I remember this because I looked with her and I saw her like staring outside the window. And she was like kind of like like stuck on something and I didn't know what she was looking at so I went and I looked as well. I couldn't really believe my eyes but we had like a stack of like two by fours. I guess like maybe the previous owner because we were renting the house so I think he was like building the fence or like fixing the fence but there was like a giant stack of like two by fours. Some of the two by fours were actually like floating in midair and spinning. I could, I actually told my mom that I was going to come and tell this story and I sat and I talked to her about it and I told her too, I was like, you remember that? She was like, yes, I remember that. She, she remembered that board flying in the back down. She saw everything and this would start flying around, flying and try make me start shake a little bit because being powerful like that, would not fly, you feel a little scared it was that was like one of the things that like till this day i like kind of need reassurance from someone else like do you remember that because that sounds pretty insane there was a few more things that happened in that house i think the most like shocking and the one that kind of like i get like goosebumps talking about it this house was there's so much crap happening that i did not want to sleep in a room by myself so i actually moved into my brother's room and we had a bunk bed and a regular bed in that room and we all slept in the same room together so that other room was just vacant it was kind of like just a storage room now so i was sleeping in that room and in the middle of the night my dad heard a loud slam and I felt a loud slam as I was sleeping like I felt like something happened like felt like some type of slam and I woke up I opened my eyes and I was across the room one night like I decide okay that's it no one gonna be around play with us play with my family make everyone fear and scared I'm gonna prepare I'm gonna fast the day and I'm gonna pray about it and I'm gonna fight with whatever around because I believe is always demons try make everyone scared and fear and I started praying for for the house like I don't know who lives here before I'd say get out my house this is my family this is my family's property from the God and I don't accept no one around at least and uh, a lot of noise step in the and the stair go up and down, and I went 
and Felipe started to make noise, and we went in his room. He's is in flying on the wall, and, and I look at him, and he hit on the floor. This all happened so quick. So I felt a slam, and I was across the room on the wall, and my dad, as soon as I opened my eyes, he was at my actual door. So he was like under the door seal, and he was just like looking straight at me in the face and I fell from middle of the wall to the floor and just started crying. So I pretty much got tossed from one side of the room to the other and I slept on the top bunk bed. So I went from like across the room onto the wall and by that time my dad heard the slam on the wall. So I must have been on the wall for like, I don't know, a few seconds. Cause I mean, for my dad to get there and I was still on the wall and then fall, right? when I see him. So it had to have been, yeah, a few seconds up against the wall. And I just fell on the ground and started crying. My dad got really emotional as well. He was very worried about me because, you know, you just saw your kid like stuck to a wall. He started crying and I was crying too. And after that, he like had, it was like, I guess it was like called, I guess the proper name would be for like a prayer group kind of like a prayer group came into our house they blessed our whole house with like holy water and stuff i said no you're not going to touch my family you're not going to touch my kids and i start praying and this night i make like a big war and i pray and pray and everything stopped and everything disappeared after they did that it stopped. Nothing really happened in that house anymore. Although like we didn't stay there for much longer after that, we ended up just moving to another city. I'm not 100% sure on what it was. From my experience and the presence that I felt in that house, it felt very evil. Like it didn't feel like it was a friendly ghost. I could feel the evil in the air. Like it felt really tense and it was a very strong presence and it was a very scary presence this is something i had to experience not in this house but in different houses and different locations in brazil our apartment i live happens to the day this is how I, I bought this house where we live right now in in austin area we, we pay for this house bless this house but everything's fine but some some place, some place is different. I think I've always been a pretty sensitive person when it comes to spirits. Whenever I go somewhere where it has a strong presence, I can feel it. Even like when I go to a store with lots of crystals and spiritual things, I can I can kind of feel it in the air. Like I feel a weight in the air. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Till this day, I think like everything that happened in this house affects me, not in a negative way. I think it kind of made me aware of spirits or whatever it is that that was. It kind of scares me to know that there's evil out there that can actually touch you and it could actually cause physical harm to you. Whatever was in that house was evil. I don't know if it was after the people in the voodoo picture and because we lived there, it was after us now, but it definitely didn't feel like a peaceful spirit. Felipe had some significant experiences growing up in his home in Pinoa Valley. During my conversations with both Felipe and his father, I learned that they both continue to have frightening experiences throughout their lives. 
As a pastor in Brazil and in California, O.C. admitted that he performed exorcisms and witnessed people climbing walls, slithering on the ground like a snake, and had moments where he was afraid for his life. Thankfully, though, for now, it seems they are at peace, and their current home in Austin, Texas, is free of any malicious entities or curses. There's one unique thing about this case, because many of those who have paranormal experiences as a child, like myself, are often alone, and their parents explain away what happened as opposed to accepting what happened. But in Felipe's case, his parents were actual witnesses to the unbelievable phenomena he had experienced as a child, and at least he can assure himself he didn't imagine it all. After this short break, we'll have another great campfire story for you, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop, custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Now, there are many reasons why I love this family-owned print shop and why Oh Boy is my go-to shop for all things Night Owl, but let me pick one to rave to you about today. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company, only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? Well, that's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs. I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Old Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the Night Owl shirt because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. Oh Boy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oh Boy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit ohboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. In the early 90s, a desperate situation to get out of an abusive relationship, a young mother and her two daughters flee California to find a home in Yukon, Oklahoma. Teresa, now a single mother, needed to do what was best for her girls, Tatiana and Natasha, try to raise them in a good home. It seemed like it was going to be an impossible task to find a decent home in a good neighborhood within her price range. But as fate would have it, Teresa would find her dream home just three blocks away from her mother. It would allow her to work more to provide for the family while she left her girls with their grandmother. The situation was ideal, but before long, Teresa discovered that her dream home seemed to come with its own dark past. My name is Tatiana, and I live in Oklahoma City, and I am 32 years old. I went through some really strange things growing up. Me, my sister, and my mom, we moved back to Oklahoma from California. It was just a really bad time for us. My mom was married at the time, and our dad was abusive, abusive to my mom. So it was just a really bad situation. My name is Teresa. I am the mother of two wonderful girls. I came to Oklahoma, basically Yukon, Oklahoma, back in the late 80s. It was a very difficult time, and basically I, I was coming home to raise my girls in the best way that I could. We were looking for a house, one that I could afford on my own, and my mother lived basically three blocks away from the home that we did find, which is very odd because I would have never contemplated acquiring a home within that neighborhood. There's no way that I can afford that. 
basically a, a three-bedroom home, two baths, two-car garage, ample backyard. It was just you know, a, a nice home. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way. But within actually less than three months, for some reason or another, I was the owner of that house. After I became the homeowner, my mother and I we went to the house to basically you know, clean it out, see what needed to be done, and so on and so forth. And when I was there, not only did I feel it, but also my mother did. There was an acceptance in that house that, that okay, I needed to be here. But there was also something that you felt something was just not right. You know, looking to see what needed to be clean and whatever. Unfortunately, we looked in, in the air vents, and in the air vents, it was full of drugs. And they were in, in all separated in, in little baggies. We were shocked, and I flushed them on the toilet, which you're not supposed to do that. But I didn't know any better. I just needed to know that this needed to be done. We left. I had not moved in yet because none of the uh, furniture had come in. When we went back into the house, oh, I would say the next couple of days, uh, as soon as we went up to the driveway, something was just not right. And when we had gone inside the house, um, they had written all kinds of graffiti on the walls. They, they had crushed glass and put it in the dishwasher. It, it was torn apart. And you could just feel this, this, this anger, you know, that was just there. We were shocked. Long story short, my mother decided that we need to we need to go back. She came back on her own because she wanted to clean the house, but I I could not participate and I could not be there. So she did that, and the next day we went back and we started you know um, cleaning. We just got everything ready and I made sure that everything would be okay before I could even bring the girls into the house. One afternoon when I was coming home from work, my girls would go over to my next-door neighbors, which is uh, godparents. And as soon as I drove up into the driveway, I saw the lights in the kitchen just flickering on and on and off. I remember my sister and I being at our neighbor's house. It was during the evening, and my mom was coming home. I remember her being scared. She grabbed a butcher knife. I know that she thought someone broke into our home. I remember watching her go in and just being really scared for my mom and wishing I was with her. All of a sudden, here I am, you know, finding myself with this butcher knife, you know, heading straight into the door. I managed to open the screen door, but the door just opened, and as soon as I, I was in the entranceway, I could hear somebody running out through the patio door. Yeah, sure enough, there were, somebody had broken inside our home. As you heard, upon first entering the home, Teresa felt something here. But the things that started to unfold first were not paranormal. It appeared that the home she purchased was once a drug house, and unsettling events like discovering drugs in the actual home getting vandalized and then eventually broken into, all had her on edge. But somehow, despite all this, she still felt very comfortable in the new home. As it went on, you, know, you could you could feel, or at least 
I did. I, I wasn't aware that the girls did. I could see that there was somebody there. My name is Natasha. I'm from Yukon, Oklahoma. I guess you would say some paranormal experiences that I had happened when I was about in the early school age years. My very first home um, when we moved to Yukon from California, some strange things that happened that scared me that I knew weren't normal. I remember my sister and I, we were in our room together. We shared a room, even though it was a three-bedroom. <laughs> um, we shared a room, so we had twin beds. In between us, we had a nightstand. We had a light and this old, like, dial radio. And it was, like, bedtime. We were just laughing. And we, we would always do this every night. We would, even though it was time for bed, we would talk and laugh about things and get in trouble. We were young. I mean, maybe first grade, second grade. We were in our bedroom. And we had one of those old clocks that you see with the the dial. You can see the red dial when you switch to your station with the numbers. And all of a sudden, the radio turns on. Typical horror fashion, like the radio just started changing channels. And we like went silent and looked at each other and we just like freaked out. The dial, the dial's moving back and forth at a rapid speed, going from station to station in several different directions. Like it's going forward, it's going backwards, just going crazy, just all on its own. You could see it moving back and forth and we were not even near or touching it. And we ran out of the room just frightened and scared. And we ran into my mom's room and we told her what happened. We're like, Mom, the radio is changing stations. We didn't touch it. Like, we were so scared. And my mom was like, oh, it's just an old radio. It's, it's fine. Go back to bed. And, you know, just being as young as we were, we didn't think anything of it. And we just thought, okay, well, that was weird. But my mom knew <laughs> that there something did that. And it wasn't the radio. I did not feel any kind of aggression. Again, it was just something like an acceptance. They were telling me that the radio, you know, would, would turn on or it would change stations and that the lights would come on. And I didn't really make a big deal out of it, but I knew about the lights because sometimes that would happen. Why? I don't know, but I still did not feel afraid. I had to work sometimes three jobs. I would have to leave either really early in the morning or come home very late. Sometimes, oh gosh, uh, three, four o'clock in the morning. And I would always leave the porch light on. That is the only light really that I would leave on because as soon as I went into the door, then I could switch some switches. And of course, the hallway light would come in and the kitchen light would come in. And I remember one morning I was coming in and I, I drove up the driveway. I was sitting out. And for some odd reason, I just said, I'm home. Don't scare me. And after I said that, I could see the light in the kitchen come on. And I was not scared. I just said, okay, thank you. Never, don't scare me. So I get in. And as soon as I get in, all the lights in the house would turn on. And I said, okay, that's good. So we're safe. And I would just randomly talk, you know, like if I was talking to somebody else. I never heard any response because if I did, I told them I had a heart attack. But that was the way it was every single time when I would come home by myself. I, I cannot even find the words to, to explain it. It was just odd, I guess.
that I could feel comfortable and safe there. I guess anybody else would have run out the door screaming. Another instance that I had, there is a bedroom at the end of the hall, and I had those little door hangers, a paper door hanger, was hanging on it. And I was walking towards the door. I was about to put my hand on top of the doorknob. My door hanger started rapidly, rapidly moving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, so fast just rapid fast. And I'm like, okay, scared out of my mind. I mean, air was not on. There was no wind um, anywhere that would manipulate this thing that just move on its own just like that. So I stopped it with my hand. So I was like, this is weird. So I, I stopped it with my hand and then I let go and it goes right back and forth, moving back and forth, back and forth, so rapidly fast. And then after that happened, I hightailed out of my house, and I went to my neighbors and was just so frightened. It doesn't seem like such a big deal. or just like a scary thing, but it was just so odd. And the fact that I tried to stop what it was doing, and it stopped when I held it. And then as soon as I let go, it just started going crazy back and forth again. Initially, like when we moved there, I didn't immediately have any kind of sense of what it was like, of what the house felt like to me, you know. And I had never had any prior experiences when we moved to this house in Yukon, but as a young child, seeing and experiencing these kind of things, I was I was scared. I didn't, I didn't, it was, this wasn't a, a cast with a friendly ghost kind of thing, you know. You know, that's not what I was feeling at all. Because of, of, of one of my jobs, sometimes I had some really strange shifts. And on one occasion, a man had come in and basically he just kind of left a little girl and a little boy there. And after a while, you know, uh, you know where were the parents? Where are the parents? Like they knew, you know, they were abandoned and like this was not not the first time that it ever happened. For some odd reason, I, I asked them, I introduced myself. I said, I, um, would you like to come home with me? You know, I have two little girls. You know, you guys can get together and we can see if I can find, if I can try to find your parents. I realized that my two girls were still at my parents' house and I didn't know whether, you know, to go pick them up at my mother's or not, but they were filthy. You know, their hair, I mean, it was just full of lice. So I decided, you know, I would take them home and clean them up and, you know, we'd go from there. They were very, like, looking at scared those. They were just ready to be hurt or to for anything. It just, uh, just, it just broke my heart. And for no odd reason, they followed me into my girls' room, and all of a sudden the, the radio turned on, and they just looked, and I said, oh, oh you know, don't pay attention to it. Sometimes it does that. Uh, don't be scared. It's just the radio. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't turn it off the right way. It's, it's okay, it's okay. But the little boy is like, yeah, sure, but he didn't say anything. But he just kind of looked, he just kept looking around, and the little girl all of a sudden was at both of them, they were just at ease. I explained to them that I needed to clear their, their heads. I said, here, let me fill the bathtub, and I'll just step over here by the door, and you guys go in and get in, okay? When I came back into the bathroom, the little boy was just staring at the bathtub. I mean, just staring at the bathtub. Like he was looking at somebody in the bathtub. And I just... You know, so you just can get all this, you know, chills, but I didn't feel anything bad at all. And I, I was so busy just, you know, paying attention to him that that's when I actually noticed their body. Somebody had 
had just abused them so horribly, horribly that I, I just started crying. I, I, I couldn't help it. How can, how can somebody do this to this, you know, this, this kids? I hadn't. Uh, it, it's so sad. Um, but anyway, we, we got to the... We got to the bathtub, but the little boy was just so in tune with with somebody in the bathroom. I never, I never did know he he wouldn't say anything. But afterwards, all of a sudden, they they actually began to talk. I found out their names, or I told them that I had a friend of mine that could that could try and find their their parents. And the little girl said no, and I said okay. So I remember making some oatmeal so they could have something warm so they could go to sleep. And I told them, I'm going to be up for quite a while, so it's okay. You know, if you guys get scared, you know, you can come in and watch TV here on the couch with me. Or, you know, we can all just sit here in the living room and, you know, we can sleep here. But the little girl said, no, we like your house. Your house likes us. The next day, I did call my friend. They, you know, they, they took care of the, all the kids. This was just two little lost, lost, abandoned souls. And, you know, why would they even want to or allow themselves to come with me? You know, I'm just another stranger. But, you know, they said that I was a good person. <laughs> During my individual phone calls with this family, I'd realized that there were some interesting ties to this bathroom. The experience Teresa just described with the young boy, and two separate experiences that Natasha and Tatiana had had. I do remember another instance. I was walking down the hallway, and I was about to walk past the bathroom. The bathroom is on my my right side as I'm going down the hall. And I just, like, instinctively just kind of looked in the bathroom as I'm walking by, and I saw someone there. And it looked like a little boy. I don't remember ever telling my mother about it or my sister about it at the time, but I was walking by, turned, saw a little boy in there, like, that's odd. I backed out. I went backwards, going away from the bathroom because I was scared, and I went forward, looked again, and it was gone. I didn't stand there and really investigate and really look because prior to that, I had already seen weird things and I just want nothing to do with it. Another thing that I experienced living there, I was just walking down the hallway and at the corner of my eye, I saw a man who was on the toilet and I just remember him being hunched over and this was back in the 90s. (laughs) So I remember him having like flannel or like baggy clothes. He had like long, I would say like shoulder length, shaggy, like greasy dark hair. So when I saw that, I did a double take, and of course I wasn't there anymore, and I thought, okay, that was weird. That was really weird. I went up to my mom, and I said, Mom, I saw a man in the bathroom. And, you know, again, she just brushed it off and was like, oh, there's, you know, something probably in your eye. And I was like, no, like, I saw someone in there. I guess I just, I didn't think anything of it after that. Again, just being young, not really knowing what that meant. I never thought of my house as being haunted. I never thought that I had ghosts, none of that. I I wasn't scared to go to sleep. I never had a feeling of being watched when I was there. It was just, oh, some weird stuff happened. The only person that I usually share these things are with my mother because she would be the only one to understand. 
I do not think that I would have said this to my kids because I think they would not understand. And the last thing that I wanted to do was to frighten them, especially in the home that we had. I feel like she hid it. I don't vividly remember any kind of sit-down conversation about it at all. From what it sounds like is her and my sister had more experiences than I did and that I didn't know about. I don't remember having any kind of conversation about it. My mom was raised Catholic, and I do remember her telling us prayers, like when something would happen or whatever. But there wasn't like a, I feel like she hid stuff just so she wouldn't scare us anymore kind of thing, or like protecting us in a way. My mother remarried, and I was going into the sixth grade, so I'm probably around 12 years old. So this is a new home that we are going into, uh, same town. The reason that I moved is because I got married, and we moved to a you know to a bigger to a bigger home. It, it's sad because I didn't want to leave. <laughs> I, I felt like um, I was abandoning somebody. In but anyway. The majority of the stories that this family shared with me were mostly connected to their former house. And the things that continued to happen in the new home felt a bit unrelated. But there was something fascinating that we all learned about a dream that Tatiana had while living in the new home that tied directly back to a paranormal experience her mother kept secret from the girls all of their lives. I had lucid dreams. Um really scary dreams and the one (laughs) dream that I had that sticks out to me the most I don't remember how old I was but this was definitely when we moved to our new house after my mom remarried I dreamt that I was in my mom's old master bedroom at our house in Yukon it's a little three bedroom home and it was just me I was in her bed and I was like on my side and I remember it being nighttime, and I could like feel something like pulling me really badly, wanting me to look at the fan. And even in my dream, <laughs> I knew I don't want to look at the fan. <laughs> I don't want to look. Finally, like I slowly looked up and I saw a decapitated head, and it was so bright white that it looked almost blue. And he had a super scary smile. It was like bright white teeth. His smile was so big that it was literally ear to ear. And he was staring right at me. He had dark, greasy hair. And I remember waking up thinking, oh my gosh, (laughs) like so scared, like disturbed. And I woke up and thought, that's really scary and just kind of forgot about it. But I remember um, we were coming back home from the lake. We used to go like every weekend. I was in the back seat. My sister was there. My stepdad, Steve, he's awesome, <laughs> and my mom in the passenger seat. And I remember, I was like, "Oh yeah, I had that dream. Let me tell her about it." And I was like, "Mom, I had a really scary dream." So I explained to her like what I saw, and she turned her head to the side, and she had her hand over her mouth. It was like a shock type of expression, like she was shocked. It freaked me out, and I wanted to ask more questions, but my stepdad doesn't believe in any of that stuff, and my mom knew that he didn't want to hear it, so it was really hard to not be able to get any answers, and I just wanted to ask more questions, like, is that what you saw at our old house? 
Tatiana said that she never pressed her mother any further about what she saw that made her react the way she did to her dream. But I honestly didn't have the same restraint Tatiana did, and I flat out asked Teresa about it when I got her on the phone. I was stunned by what she told me next. The incident she's about to describe happened in the old house. I had gone to bed, and I was, I was restless. I felt like there was something was not right. And sometimes I would hear noises. I would get up, check the house, and nothing. But there was still something that would just nag me, that something was not right. And if I went to sleep, all of a sudden, yeah, I, I woke up. My, my eyes just popped open. I looked up at the fan, and... I saw this this face, which sort of it, it, it looked like somebody like somebody decapitated the head, and it was just there on the scene. It, it just looked like a long, stringy hair. The head was very fat. It did not have facial hair, just the, the stringy hair, and you could see where the part of his neck was just kind of like stringy, kind of hanging out. You know, you would think it was it would it would it would be dripping blood, but it was not. It was it was just a decapitated head, and it was very very angry. I closed my eyes, I opened up again, and there it was. But this time, it was looking towards the window, the the outside window, which would be the south. Uh, which faces the street. And I got up. That's when I heard somebody scurrying, you know, running away from the window, which later we found out that apparently some, you know, it was a peeping Tom, and apparently he had been there for quite some time because there were a lot of uh, cigarette butts there. I just think that it was something to finally get my attention to, you know, see, you know, this is what's going on. You need to take care of it. I do not equate anything bad towards that entity. I do not. Because I was totally different. And the aggression was not, I didn't feel that it was towards me. You would think, you know, any kind of normal person that would see that, you know, you just, you, you, you open your eyes and you see this, you know, you, you're going to freak out. And I don't understand why I did not. As soon as I, I got up and I heard the the footsteps, I got my gun out. I, I was prepared for anything. But I immediately called my mother. I told her what happened, and she just told me to pray, and I did. I never saw anything at all, except that now it was that same calm. It was just, you know, where, where you just feel like, like, like you're being hugged and you feel safe. She never told me that she saw this guy with greasy hair. Like, whenever I jumped that, I just thought, oh, that's weird. And then I was kind of connecting it to the man I saw in the bathroom. I was like, oh, they kind of have similar, like, looking hair. That's the most terrifying thing of it all, like, through all of that. Like, I just felt violated. Like, why did that thing invade my dreams? And why did it do that? Why is it messing with me? I think... Whatever that thing was at our old house, I don't think it was a demon. I don't, I don't think that. I just think he was like a trickster. I mean, freaking radio. <laughs> like, it's just like he was thinking, what's scary? Like, what? Like, he was watching horror movies and he thought that would be great to do or something. The guy that I saw in the bathroom, I think he was the drug addict. 
but that's all I know. Like I, I used to like when ghost hunting shows were popular, I was like, Oh, I want to do research. I want to find out, you know, like who died. And, but it's also scary. Like I don't want to see pictures. Like if I do see a picture of him, like of the guy falling off and it's so scary. Like I don't, like, I don't want to relive that. I, I remember, or they do remember telling the girls that they should not be afraid because we were safe, and I do not want to say that if somebody passed there, because I don't know if they did or not. All I know is that whoever was there did not like whoever was there. And when we came in, I was just automatically accepted. And for some odd reason or another, I became the owner of that home, which was really impossible. But that's the way it was, and we lived there until, you know, I, I sold the house. But it was it was very nice, and a lot of things happened in that place that I can say that we were cared for and we were protected. There's no other explanation or reason. After sharing their personal stories with me separately, Teresa and her girls have since reconnected and openly talked about the paranormal experiences they each had in their former home. And although they may never fully know what they experienced and why, it was helpful hearing the three different perspectives and how the haunting impacted them individually. The girls were more afraid of what happened, but again, they were just kids at the time. And as their mother, the adult, Teresa seemed to be at peace with the entity haunting their dream home in Yukon, Oklahoma, and was actually sad to leave him behind. She admitted to me that in the end, she always felt it was an older male presence that somehow understood their situation, who actually kept them safe while they were in the home. In every situation involving danger, it appears that Teresa reported signs that the entity was around and comforted her. But in the end, I hope that the conversations about what happened years ago continues for this family, because I think, if I've learned anything from these two stories, it's that the paranormal is a lot less scary when you're not alone in your experiences. Thanks for listening to Campfire Episode 3. These types of shows will continue to be released on the second Monday of each month. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Our usual investigative series will continue on their regular schedule the last Monday of each month. So be sure to tune in on March 25th as we continue our investigation at Buenos Aires Cafe, where we work to address the new discoveries Sarah has made with the spirits in the building. I dive into historical research and make some interesting discoveries. And things take a shocking turn when we discover one of the employees has a unique ability similar to Sarah's. And I'd like to thank my team, Sarah Alexis and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair and P.D. Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show. And my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, 
you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash the Night Owl podcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Oh Boy Print Shop. If you have the need for custom t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.